Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning is from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus, after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, as we gather to hear your word read and proclaimed, we humbly ask that you would speak to our hearts. Speak to them such that we would clearly hear you and thus have our lives transformed. That we would clear you and thus be compelled to go out to this place, not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So I was standing out at the entrance to the church some years back, standing there on a Sunday morning just before everyone gathered for worship and the the other service had ended and I was dressed in all of my robe of praise and glory and greeting people and up the walk comes this family. 
Now, Graham, he's coming up. And let me tell you, Graham is impeccably dressed. Red rain boots. It's a lovely day like today, just by the way. Red rain boots, blue shorts, and a purple shirt, none of which matched. None of it. And he marched up there in his mama's hand, and he looked at me, and he goes, I dressed myself today, just as proud of himself as he could be. And his mother said, he did. <laughs> as if I doubted this, right? Just as proud as he could be. And I think of that often when I think of, you know, we watch small children as they grow. We know that this is part of that growing up maturation process that they go through as they start from toddlers to preschoolers and even into kindergarten, as they start to grow, they want to start being a little more independent from us, right? The phrase they often say is, no, do it myself. Do it myself. And see, I think that that's part of that, that whole process where they are really trying to take control. They want to do things themselves. Even if it means they don't understand that you don't wear rain boots when it's sunny out. Or that maybe that outfit that Graham had on was not quite so put together. But he was proud because he did it himself. He owned taking care of himself and getting himself ready for church that day. And I think of that and I think of our own faith lives. In a lot of ways, we too should be like that where we want to take control of our faith and own it for ourselves and in our hearts and not just what people tell us about how much God loves us, but that we want to own it and know it. So here we are, the second Sunday of Easter, as you may have seen in the happenings writing that came out this week, in the season of the liturgical year called Eastertide, that time following the resurrection where we are trying to make sense of it and what it means for us. The scripture lessons that are typically associated with Eastertide show Jesus appearing after the resurrection again and again to the disciples, to Thomas, to Peter, and to others before he ascends to heaven. And the whole point of these passages is to remind us and to cement in our hearts the reality and the power of the resurrection. It's to help us to understand that it's not just some dream that happened following the crucifixion, but that it was real and that Jesus was raised from the dead and that the world could see it. So in our text today, we have Jesus and Thomas. Now remember, Thomas, as the text says, was not with the other disciples when he came to, when Jesus appeared to them. He wasn't with him, and so when he caught up with him later, the disciples were like, Thomas, you won't believe what happened. Let me tell you, we saw the risen Christ. He's no longer there. The tomb was empty. And what did Thomas say? Thomas says, I hear you, but I'm not going to believe it until I get to see it with my own eyes. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to believe it until I can see the wound of his side and put my hand in it and touch it. Now we know the rest of the story. Some days later, Thomas, uh, uh, Jesus appears to Thomas and the disciples. And when he does that, he comes in. They were in a locked room, eight days later in a locked room. And Jesus appears and he says, peace be with you. And then he looks right at Thomas and he says, Thomas, come over here. See the wound in my side. And it's in that moment 
that Thomas seizes that faith and he says, my Lord and my God. Essentially saying, I believe, I too now believe in the resurrection. And so throughout history, scholars and theologians have, I think, given Thomas a bad rap, calling him Doubting Thomas, because he doubted, saying that he didn't have faith. No, see, I think that's erroneous. Yes, it seems like he doubted, like he didn't have faith, but I think the reality is a bit of a different view. He wanted to believe. He really wanted to believe what the disciples told him, but it was so unbelievable. He wanted to believe it, and he, but he wanted to own it personally in his heart. He wanted that to be his faith, that the resurrection happened, that Christ was raised from the dead for him, but he wanted to see it and know it in his heart, not just know it because someone told him it happened. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it, right? I mean, your friends have gone to the new restaurant in town and they tell you how wonderful it is and they'll say things like, oh my goodness, it's the best restaurant ever. It is the hot new thing. It is the most awesome restaurant in Winston-Salem. You're not going to sign on to that hyperbole until what? You go there and try it yourself, right? And then you'll pass your own judgment if it really is the best restaurant in town or not. Or think about it, this weekend the Avengers Endgame movie came out. I think it's grossed over $640 million through yesterday and the weekend's not even over yet. Highest grossing movie and everyone's saying, oh my goodness, it's the best and the best movie. And before you can say anything else, everybody that wants to see it says, now wait a minute, don't spoil it. I want to experience it myself. Don't tell me how it ends. I want to know. I want to know. And that's our, that's our own desire to experience and hold it in our own hearts and have the same joy that everyone else has had. This idea of wanting to own our faith is truly what we believe. Just a few minutes ago, as we read the baptism liturgy, remember we asked the parents, we said, will you raise this child up in the church until such time that he can own his faith? They said yes. Then we were asked, will you support this family as they raise this child until he can own his faith? And what did we say? Yes. So when we go to confirmation, when he hits the seventh grade and he's in confirmation with Tammy, the question we will ask our confirmands is this, do you now accept the faith into which you are baptized that your parents and the church promised to support you in? Giving the confirmand a chance to own it for themselves because that's truly what we want, right? We want to own our own faith, that it's our faith, not just the faith people have said you should have. So as we think of Thomas this morning and his desire to own that faith, to own that belief in the resurrection, we begin to get some idea of how that impacts our own quest and our own journey of faith. The first thing we realize is that it's not an instantaneous one-shot deal, is it? No, instead, the journey of faith is a lifetime thing that has no real time limit. It takes place over our lives and at different junctures, we begin to unfold and to deepen our faith. The other part that we learn is that Christ comes to us. While we're on this journey of faith, Christ comes to us and meets us where we are and gives us opportunities so that we can see and embrace Christ ourselves. And then finally, that when we do that, we find that peace in our hearts. 
See, as we search for this idea of a deep and different, uh, of a deepening faith or to own faith ourselves, I think that we can take comfort in Thomas's journey. You know, Thomas said to the, said to the rest of the disciples, I won't believe until I see it. I'm on this journey. Now, sure, the resurrected Christ could have appeared the next day, but I love the fact that the text records that it took some time. Some texts say it took eight days. Now, if you know anything about biblical numerology, numbers matter always in the Bible. So the number seven, seven days of creation, talks about God's perfect time. And so the number seven is this idea of perfection. But it took eight days. Now, the symbol for this is both one, it took physically literally eight days. But the other part in that biblical numerology is that God was willing to work overtime. God was willing to be patient as long as it took for Thomas to believe that God was willing to be in this conversation and that it wasn't just going to happen overnight. Think about that. Think about our confirmands. I mean, they're in seventh grade. Think about all that they've experienced from the time that they were baptized as infants to seventh grade. And as they stand up here and we ask them that question, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? They say yes. But the other thing that we will tell them is, guess what? Congratulations. The journey is beginning now for you today. Because up until that point in time, we have been teaching them the faith, hoping to instruct them so that they would own it for themselves. But once they own it, the journey really has just begun. It's really begun because now they've said the Lord is their savior, but they've got to grow in the understanding of what that means. And so the great thing about this for all of us is, is that Thomas was open to that journey. He was willing to wait. He was willing to see because he wanted to own it in his heart. And so he was waiting for God to come and to show him that opportunity. And for you and for I, we're all at different points on that journey. Some of us realized it in seventh grade in confirmation and others at later in life. And as we've gone on that continuum to be closer to God, we've had ups and downs and highs and lows. And it, our journeys have not been the same. Some have, taken, some have taken off a lot quicker and others a little slower. And that's okay because guess what? God's in this for the long haul with you and for me. And God is willing to work overtime to let us explore and grow in our faith as long as we are willing to take the first step of that journey, like Thomas. The other part of the story I like is I love how Jesus met Thomas. Thomas and the disciples were there in a room. It says they were in a locked room. They were in a locked room because they were unsure about the world outside. They had watched Jesus be crucified. They knew that the, the Jewish authorities were after them. They knew that the Roman authorities were afraid of them. Were they trying to create some kind of religious strife or a political coup? No one was sure, but they knew that they were marked people. And so they stayed in hiding as much as they could. And they stayed in a locked room, inaccessible to the world and safe. And yet what happened on that eighth day? Jesus appears in their midst. Jesus comes into the locked room, found Thomas right where he was and appeared to him, sought him out and called him by name. See, I think Christ seeks you and I out on our journey of faith as we want to own and embrace our faith for ourselves, Christ comes to us 
Sometimes we're looking and we see it and sometimes we should have our eyes opened a little bit wider and see where Christ comes and, it, and comes into our lives. Sometimes through others, sometimes through scripture, sometimes through hymns. There's an old Scottish fable that there was a woman that got up one morning and in her prayer time, the Lord spoke to her heart and said, I'm going to come visit you today. Be ready. And so she quickly raced through her prayers. And then as soon as she said her final amen, she got up and she started tidying up the house. I mean, wouldn't you do that if you knew that Jesus was coming today? And if you knew that he was going to be there at 1215, some of you would leave now. Um, but you would leave and you would go home and you get your house ready and maybe figure out what was the right snack to put out, that sort of thing, to get ready. And so she was ready. And somewhere in the mid part of the morning, there was a knock at the door and she opened it up and there was a little boy. And he says, ma'am, my mama's got to take my brother to the doctor and they're going to be there all day. Could I stay with you so that I'm not lonely and safe? And she says, run along, boy, run along. I've got important company coming. I don't have time for this. And she shut the door on him. Long about the noon hour, there was another knock at the door and she opened the door expecting to see Jesus. And there was a woman there and she said, ma'am, I, I hate to bother you. I know that it's lunchtime and you're probably just sitting down to eat, but I, I'm, I've not eaten in two days. Do you, do you just have a piece of bread that you could share with me? The woman tried not to look annoyed, but she says, no, I don't have anything for you. Run along. I've got company coming and my food is for them. And then later in the afternoon, there was a knock at the door and there was a man who was just obviously inebriated. And he looked at her and he says, ma'am, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm inebriated and I'm, I'm lost. Can you just help me find my way home? And the woman looked where the sun was setting and having not yet had her guest at the house, she said, you know, I, I would love to help you, but I really can't do it. I've got people coming any minute now. You've got to go along your way. And she shuffled him off. Well, the shadows grew long and the candles burned dim. And as the day ended, she prayed aloud. She said, Lord, you said you were coming today and you haven't come by yet. It, it, did I get the day wrong? And she heard back in her prayer time. Oh, but I did come. I came three times today and you just wouldn't let me in. I came three times and you wouldn't let me in. Do we, meet op do we miss opportunities to meet Christ and each other? Do we miss opportunities to hear what Christ has to say because we tune others out because we don't want to hear their words even if they might be helpful to us? Do we miss opportunities to meet Christ because we're looking for something and Christ comes in a different way? I think about our worship service this morning. Did you come here hoping to meet Christ? Did you see Christ in the hymns that we sang? Or did you just sing the words and not get caught up in what you were singing? Or in the prayer time, did you tune out and think about your grocery list or what you had to do this afternoon? Or even in the scriptures, were you just letting someone else read them and not take them into your heart? Or even the people that you met coming in the door, that are sitting on the pew with you. Might they have said something to you that while it was their words, was Christ really meeting you where you are? Saying something that you really needed to hear today. Do we sometimes tune out each other not here realizing that they are acting as the hands and feet of Christ in our lives, meeting us right where we are, even when we think that we are just fine 
and the world can't touch us. See, I think that's what happened to Thomas. I think he thought he was safe. But even then, Christ came and found him when he was locked away. But what I really love is I love that conversation that Jesus had with him when he came into the room. See, there's no, there's no coincidence that Jesus used the same words with Thomas that he used with the disciples. Remember when he appeared to the disciples in the early part of John 20, he said, my peace be with you. The disciples knew and instantly believed. So when he comes into that locked room, when he comes in the locked room and he tugs and he looks at the top and he starts to talk to Thomas, what does he say to him? The first words are, my peace with you. See, automatically, he met Thomas, but he calmed it down and he said, I'm here. It's all going to be okay. My peace be with you. John Wesley talks about how, as he writes in his journal, that he was really struggling with his faith. He wanted to own it. He wasn't sure that he believed enough, deep enough in his heart, which I find hard to believe given his writings up to that point in his life. But he was still unsure that Christ had died on the cross for him, had been raised from the dead for him. And he was still unsure about that. And he talks about how he was preaching in church and he got up there to preach and he opened the Bible to Romans. And as he read the words of Romans that day, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And it was in that incident that I knew that he had died for me, that he was my savior, that he was my Lord, that he lifted me up and he'd put my feet on a rock. And that was when I had peace in my heart. Well, friends, the same is true for you and for me, for all of us. When we own our faith, when we take control of it, we find the peace of Christ. When the light, when world around us is full of trial and tribulation and adversity, when we lean on our faith, when we seek the risen Christ and we want to have him near us and we know that he meets us where we are, it's that peace that we find. And we realize that Christ was raised from the dead for us, for all the world, but especially for us at that moment in time. And so as we embark upon the season of Easter, as we're in the, the end of the first week and start of the second, the season of Easter time, the good news for you and for me is that Christ was raised from the dead for us, raised from the dead for you and for me, and we can seize that in our own. We can take that and make that our faith. We can hold on to that. And like Thomas, we can own it deep in our hearts because we have something to anchor ourselves on and to believe. And that our journey of faith becomes how we live that out. See, this journey takes place over our lifetimes. If we want to truly own it, then we've got to explore ways to make it deeper each and every day. Ways to be a part of it, whether we're reading scripture or studying God's word or serving with our hands and our feet. See, Christ comes to us. Christ looks for ways to open up our hearts to show us that he is present around us every day. Sometimes it's through the words and the actions of our neighbors and our friends. But if we open our hearts and our ears and our eyes, we see Christ meeting us right where we are. And it's at that moment that we can find that peace and that reassurance. And that you and I can be like Thomas and that we can open our eyes even wider and we can say with a certainty of faith and strength, my Lord and my God, I believe.
that you were raised for me. And I own that faith. And it has made all the difference in my life. And so I hope that we go forth from this place as a changed people. Knowing that we are on a journey, knowing that we have a God that will meet us along that route. And that in that, that we can find the peace and assurance that he was raised for us. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.